I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. When someone's asking, um, what's my purpose? What, what am I here to do in this world? What should I, what should I be doing next? Um, I always start with, who is the one that is going to be doing the doing? Do you know who that is? Do you know who you are? Do you know what you are? Action, coming back to what we were speaking about at the beginning, action is the, um, the final expression of the identity of what we are. It's identity, which is a perspective, which is an understanding, which comes through certain thoughts and feelings, which manifests in behavior and actions. If we want to know what it is we should be doing, the action, that's the final expression. That's the final manifestation of what we are. When we know what we are, there is a natural flow of intelligence from that state through the field of manifesting all the way to the manifest. And we look at it and go, ah, great job. (laughs) That's what I'm meant to be doing. Or here is here's my success in the world. But success starts with what you are. And to know what you are, this is the purpose of meditation. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self-success with the people we follow and the teachers who help us on our way. I hope you find this episode valuable. And if you need support aligning your profession to your true nature, your unique gifts and your passions, I'm here to help. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about Offline's personal and professional development opportunities or follow getoffline.co on social media. You can find me at Alison Larson Rice. Thank you for being here. Have you ever thought deeply about why we start businesses or brands? Usually it's to solve a problem, fill a gap in the market, or of course, make money. But how many founders do you know have started something with the intention to exit it? And not exit Silicon Valley style with millions of dollars, but exit with nothing but the knowledge and the knowing that they've fulfilled their purpose in this lifetime. It's an honor to introduce you to someone who is modeling this for us. And in my opinion, a true unicorn in the startup world. Laura Poole is a powerful meditation teacher, a founder and a conscious entrepreneur. And in this episode, she presents a more evolutionary perspective on the why behind what we choose to create. Because I got wondering, 
how much of what we create is actually about our need to feel valued and valuable. Like how many of us can hand on heart say that we hope our role becomes redundant because the business outgrew us. Our ego would be screaming. But with the context Laura brings in this episode, consciously writing yourself out of a business actually becomes quite a liberating thought. Now, I have to be honest and say, I found it pretty hard to decide on a title for this episode. We cover so much ground and all of it potent. Self, success, money, purpose, permaculture. Yes, you heard me right. Permaculture. (laughs) Stay with us. Laura helps us see past success as an individualized experience and instead she asks us to consider what collective success might look like. How might that change our business plans and the way we show up professionally? What I also heard from Laura is that this way of building something also gives us back the one thing we can never get more of in the relative world, time. Time to explore other parts of ourselves that are waiting patiently to be expressed. Time to consider the next season of our lives and what is most evolutionary for us once again. Because let's remember, we are not the thing we started or the thing we do for a living. And then where does meditating fit into all of this? And how does this particular twice daily technique alter the impact that we can have on the world? Okay, this one has been a long time coming and it's also long, but we hope you'll stay with us, stay slow with us. We hope you can be here now. Here's beautiful Laura, Paul and I for Offline. Before we get started, and I guess, you know, we're recording, Mm. I wondered, and I don't know the answer to this, is there a way that you can somehow initiate us into this conversation or establish us in being a bit? Like, is there anything you can do for us just to Mm. increase the quality of the energy in our rooms or? And this is going to be for anyone who's listening? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're driving a car, I'm going to suggest that you don't do this. But if you're <laughs> if you're somewhere where you can um, just close your eyes, or even if you're walking around somewhere, you know, shopping, you can maybe do this a little bit if you're driving. But It's a really nice way to just remind ourselves of our relaxed state. And I do this all the time. And so it starts by just bringing your attention to your body and relaxing your shoulders. And each time you relax, you'll probably notice there's a little bit of an outward breath that takes place. And then you can bring your awareness to your forehead and relax your forehead and relax your eyes. And relaxing the belly where we can hold a lot of tension. Coming back to the shoulders and making sure that the shoulders are staying relaxed. 
eyes and forehead are relaxed. The arms and the fingers are relaxed. Legs and feet and toes. And as my yoga teacher would say, remember to relax your anus. Nobody likes a tight ass. (laughs) And it can just be nice to do this at any time throughout the day. And relax the whole body. And this starts moving us in the direction of activating our parasympathetic nervous system, our natural state where we feel more grounded, more calm, more present, and more awake. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. That feels nice. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> um, Betty is teething. How old is Betty now? Oh, gosh, she's nine months next wow. week. Wow. So it's that real beautiful time of, you know, a lot of people talk about outside for as long as she was inside, that sort of. Yes, of course. Truly crossing, crossing the threshold mm. um, into sort of our reality. And we've been very blessed with a good little sleeper. And so when she has these teething episodes, I just don't know myself without a full night's sleep. That's a big part of my, you know, <clears throat> process. Mm. So um, I thought typical that she has a bit of an episode at 3 a.m. the night before I've got to have an honest conversation with you because... You know, I said this to you on email. I've held your name in consciousness for a long time. I actually put your name on most seasons, like in mm. terms of programming. Mm. And then I don't know what happens. I get a bit um, unsure if I'm ready to speak to you. I don't know if that makes sense. <sighs> and I don't really know how to talk about that beyond just feeling like, mm, not yet. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And then with this season, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, just <laughs> <laughs> just give her a call. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. So interesting. I mean, timing is everything at the end of the day. So you always got to trust what you're feeling. Um, and, and when it's the right time, you know. And I feel that because some of the questions I want to ask you, I feel like are questions that... I guess from the Vedic view, I'd probably only ask you. So, mm. Mm. interesting. So, shall we kick in? Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, to kind of state my intention for our conversation, um, I want to have an honest conversation about can we, I think we can, apply, I guess, the laws of nature to the way that we create the way we run our businesses, the way we lead inside our businesses, can these kind of become our, perhaps our operating values? You know, outside of this very, and you know, this hardcore digital strategic world Mm. that crunches us into these strategies Mm. that um, oftentimes go against 
nature's wishes for us. Mm-hmm. But before we get into all that, I want to talk a little bit about you mm-hmm. <laughs> and your journey as an entrepreneur and a founder. And I use those labels um, very intentionally because I see you as that, but you're not often referred to mm-hmm. that way. What do you think about that? I'm not even sure what I refer to myself as these days. I mean, I teach meditation, so I say I'm a meditation teacher. But uh, I guess my whole life I've always wanted to do things differently. Um, I get, I can sometimes get like a bit of a fire inside of me when things are not just or when I see that things could be done in a way that would be more beneficial, more inclusive, more uplifting. Um, And so it's taken me some time in this role as a Vedic meditation teacher to find my way of expressing this knowledge and of creating something beyond myself. I'm a big believer that uh, what I'm doing right now, I am hoping that this will continue on for years, decades, 10,000 years as Maharishi had the hope (laughs) for this knowledge, wisdom and practice um, to be relevant. And so whenever I am uh, doing anything for teaching, for I guess we could say business, the direction for Mahasoma, I am looking very long-term, very long vision. And and I see myself as just the first part of something that is going to evolve uh, where I won't be, I won't be involved (laughs) at that point. And it's funny, uh, this is actually reminding me of, we did our permaculture course uh, a couple weeks ago and amazing, fantastic, lots of information. But we spoke a lot about creating centropic gardens. Now, have you heard of centropics before? No. Okay. So uh, it's this new, I'm not sure if you want to call it new, maybe we call it a more natural way of growing our food. Um, It's come out of Brazil. They've been doing this in Brazil for a very long time. And now it's starting to infiltrate um, through the English speaking countries. And uh, we learned a bit about centropics, which is creating, we could say a garden, a kitchen garden, um, growing food centropically rather than entropically. So you've got entropy and syntropy. So most things in life are going in the direction of entropy. And then you've got syntropy, which is actually increasing in energy, in biomass, in complexity, in um, the interactions that, it's ha- that, that each plant is having with another So centropics Mm. is about growing in a way that is um, increasing biodiversity rather than annual crops that you would be growing. And you're harvesting after one season, taking it, most people stripping the land, 
um, taking away some of that topsoil. And what we're doing is the opposite of that. And it's about growing um, more trees so that we're eating more from um, the fruits of trees rather than from annual grasses or vegetables. And so... Um, and so how you grow a centropic garden, um, they're done in rows, uh, 10 metres, 20 metres, 30 metres long. These rows are aligned north-south so that when the sun comes, it rises in the east and the eastern side of the row gets all the light. It comes over to midday and then it comes down to set in the west and then the other side of that centropic row gets the sunlight. So we're getting full sunlight by aligning this um, row of trees and shrubs and uh, fruits and vegetables and anything that you want to grow by aligning that north-south. Now, the interesting thing with centropics is that you are looking at a real long, long, long-term vision. So some of these trees, like a mango tree, for example, it's about 80 years, a lifespan of about 80 years. And we were talking about this on the training. It's like, how long do we really know, you know, the life of a plant, the life of a tree? Um, it really depends on the environment it really depends on the seed that you planted. Uh, the mango tree could live to 150. Who knows, like humans. Um, but there are some trees that last 1,000 years, 5,000 years, 10,000 years. <laughs> so when we're building these centropic rows, what we're actually doing is wanting to plant these very long-lasting trees that are going to be providing fruit and shade, and nutrients, and water to the surrounding environment. But it takes a long time to grow a mango tree. <laughs> and so in between the time of a mango tree maturing, you're going to have a whole lot of space in this long row. Because a mango tree, you've kind of got to plant them. This is testing my permaculture knowledge now. Um, <laughs> you've got to plant them whatever the... Um, the radius of the canopy of a mature mango tree, you have to plant that far apart. I should say diameter, actually. You've got to think how big a mango tree is going to get. You don't want the next mango tree that you're going to plant be too close that they can't actually grow into full canopies. So from the very, very beginning, you have to plan this out. So a mango mm -hmm. tree, it's going to last, let's say, 80 years. It's going to have a... Th uh, um, 20 meter, 30 meter canopy, you've got to be planting that other mango tree quite a far way down the line, right? Yes. Great. So now what else do we want in our centropic row? We want maybe a bunion nut, which is an incredible indigenous um, plant, a tree, I should say, with fruit that lives over a thousand years and grows massive. So maybe you've only got one bunya nut down the end of the line. Maybe you're putting in some avocados. Um, they're a little bit smaller. You've got your citrus trees that you might put in, some bananas, uh, um, lemon myrtle, whatever you've got. You have to look at how old the plant will be, how long its, its longevity. Um, 
So you've got its age, you have to look at its size. And with the age and with the size, you're then going to be able to work out where you want to plant it along the row. And there's going to be faster growing plants and shorter lived plants. And then there's going to be bigger canopy plants. And then there's going to be uh, skinnier, taller, maybe only, only a little bit of a canopy. And so you plant them according to this. And it's almost like um, our teacher uh, described it as a, as a movie. So you've got all these different scenes. Now, the mango tree, let's say the mango tree is the, the end goal. That's the final scene. But you've got all these scenes before where all the other fruit trees are going to come into existence. They're going to shade the soil. They're going to create a beautiful environment for these other little plants to grow up. Then those are going to grow and possibly take over the shade of the banana, for example, and grow beyond the banana tree. Then we might cut the banana tree and put the biomass of that banana back into the soil. Bananas are full of water, and so the earth soaks up that water and returns all of the beautiful nutrients from the banana tree that did an incredible job in scene two and scene three, but was never meant to go past scene three. It was designed to create an environment that then allows in scene four, you know, the ruby red grapefruit to, you know, come onto the stage. And then you have these beautiful grapefruits to be able to eat and you know, then that's only going to last a particular time. And that space, that plant is giving back in every moment, every single plant, no matter what size, no matter what age, no matter what scene, it's constantly giving back to the earth, giving Mm. back to the environment. And it is a part of this beautiful play with all these different um, scenes eventually getting to the point of having a mature forest. A Mm. mature food forest takes time, 150, 250, 450 years. And if we're going to get to that point, there's a whole lot of stuff that we need to do beforehand. And so there's more, so much more we could talk about in this, but I'll try and keep it relevant to meditation. (laughs) I could tell. Yeah. um, (laughs) I'm a bit excited. There's... um, what's known as pioneer trees. So your pioneer trees are the trees that you first plant that are going to be fast growing canopy trees that start to create the environment for all of these other um, slower growing but longer lasting trees to have an, uh, an environment that they can grow up in that at some point they will actually take over these pioneer trees and they will become the main attraction. Mm. Is this making sense? Oh, I just, it's like a, um, I, this is your business strategy. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so looking It's at, really beautiful. I'm just like trying to remain as present as I can in what you're saying, but at the mm. same time just going... I knew I would not have an ordinary conversation with this woman. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew we'd be talking about mango trees? (laughs) Give it up to God. Right. Um, And so when I was was hearing about this from our teacher um, in the permaculture course, I really um, felt it deeply because I've always said um, success to me 
as a teacher means that I no longer have work. Mm. I hope to be made redundant as soon as possible. And this is a really interesting way to run your business, which my accountant doesn't quite get. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I let them do their their expertise and I stay in my, my lane of expertise. But if I come back to why did I become a meditation teacher, it was so that people could know who they are and feel happy and calm and peaceful and joyful and tap into what they were born here to do in this life. Mm. That is my desire um, for teaching people to meditate. And my hope is that at some point I'm not needed. (laughs) My hope is that people are doing that. Families are passing down this knowledge and wisdom to their children so that it it takes um, the teacher role back into family life where as a householder it should be. It should be with the mother and father or with the parents, with the grandparents. It's in family life. And so my hope is that at some point you don't need to outsource your meditation teacher. This is something that um, becomes um, embodied knowledge and wisdom that gets passed on through family um, lineage through rites and rituals that you can make up for yourself. They don't have to be based in any spiritual tradition or religion. It's, it's the essence of it. And I hope at some point, yeah, that there's no need for meditation teachers. <laughs> mm. But that's a bit scary for some people to look at. They're like, hang on a second. Aren't I becoming a meditation teacher to have a job, to be able to, you know, become successful and pay my bills and build this empire and that's just not my perspective on it. It not saying that it's right or wrong. <laughs> oh, and this is it, isn't it? Um, there isn't, I don't think, right or wrong. I guess all that comes up for me is <clears throat> it's based on our state, and so our perspective is directly related to our state of consciousness, perhaps, and. I think about this a lot with people building lots of different types of businesses and the way they're building them is relevant for them in some way, you know, and it's taken me a long time to move out of judgment around that and just to let them play out the storyline of their life. (laughs) You know what I mean? And just, um, but like what I'm hearing from you is ultimately getting out of the way. Um, Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, at some point you remove, well, you have already removed yourself from the equation in that future vision, mm. but you know what's required of you right now yeah. is to lead in some capacity to yeah. get it to the point where it self-sustains. Yeah, I'm like a banana tree. I'm like, I've That's got right. lots lots of energy. I, I, I'm going to grow tall and shade the area and um, create an environment for um, a more sustainable, long-lasting, regenerative um, way of being together. And I know that I will become irrelevant at some point and wonderful. May I be chopped down and put back into the earth knowing that my karma and my dharma has been done here. 
and I look forward to that day. And I love, you know, teaching um, people to meditate. I love teaching people to teach meditation as well. And we're just slowly passing down. Change, change is slow. Change really is slow in the, in the relative world. And um, I think if we can look at how we're all changing together and how we're contributing, because we're all contributing in such different ways, as you said, mm-hmm. um, and to not look at one tree and go, well, you're not really pulling your weight, are you? You know, Or why aren't you giving this? Or why aren't you taking that? Um, it's just allowing each person to play their role in, in this movie of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about, um, I feel like you touched on it. It was very subtle mm. in the beginning. Um, I want to get this phrasing right. Mm. Permission to teach, mm. the permission to pass on this knowledge and I guess how to think about finding freedom in your own path with it because I hope you're catching my drift. I just feel like if I can speak really candidly and vulnerably Mm. about this knowledge Mm. and this, um, this ancient wisdom, there's been moments in my, and I've only been around this for three years, Mm. There's been moments where I've felt like it's a little bit political <laughs> and that there's ways that it is done and isn't done and that causes a bit of divisiveness. And I really wanted to get your view on that because you have pioneered in this space as I see it, mm-hmm. um, especially creating a collective of female meditation teachers, very powerful. <laughs> Um, so how do you think about the politics of wisdom and spirituality? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I don't think you can escape politics in any field. Um, if we're talking about politics, um, poly meaning many, so many different views, when you've got many different people coming together uh, in whatever arena of life, you're going to have many different views uh, and you're going to get politics. <laughs> it's going to get political. So I don't think that you can um, escape it anywhere, whether you're, you know, meditation, yoga, Western medicine, um, the army to <laughs> art schools to universities. Like it, it, it honestly is everywhere. Um, And I think that's just an important point to remember because we come into spirituality a lot of the time with, hmm, what's the word I'm looking for? An idealized view of what it should be. Mm -hmm. Pure, (laughs) enlightened (laughs) souls. Virtuous. Yeah, virtuous. No one ever doing anything wrong. Um, and it's just not the case. I think you can get disappointed or disillusioned 
um, quite easily these days in the world of yoga and meditation. When you pe- mm. peel back the um, hmm, the persona that has been projected into the world mm. in order to, it's a beautiful thing, you know, it's in order to get people meditating. I don't think there's anything wrong with the medium being the message. Uh, it's how a lot of people come and learn to meditate with me versus um, someone else. They feel something and they're like, oh, yeah, I resonate with that. Okay, let me let me learn a little bit more about what you're doing. Uh, I, I, I would like to be experiencing more of that. So I think there's a, um, a positive side to having some sort of persona, but when you, <laughs> the veil gets pulled back and you start to see the real life of a lot of these teachers mm-hmm. that have presented themselves as awakened beings, um, it can be disappointing. It can also make you feel a little uh, like you've been hoodwinked in some way. Duped, totally. <laughs> Duped. <laughs> uh, but again, it's a, it's a, another part of your spiritual practice. It's a, a graduation in some way of seeing more and of having to um, digest and integrate and un- understand uh, humanity and that everyone has <laughs> everyone has their humanity and you can't escape what that. What is that, Vidya? Laisha Vidya. Um, the faint remains of ignorance. The faint it? remains of ignorance. It, it gets taught in a few different ways. Um, mm. Sometimes it's taught as a practice. So Laisha Vidya is a practice when you are getting so close to that state of dissolution, meaning I've realized that I am that I am. <laughs> All this is nothing but that when you're getting very, very close to that point of there being no more duality, then what we do is start practicing ignorance. So we start practicing ignoring our oneness so that we can play in the field of diversity. We can play in the world of the duality. Um, To make ourselves relevant once again. To continue to remain relevant, which means I have a body, I, I have a um, physical um, reality so that people can locate me <laughs> mm-hmm. and come and, you know, have a meal or go for a walk or come and learn to meditate, whatever it might be. Um, so Leisha Vidya, it is a, a practice for relevance, for um, staying accessible um, and relatable to people. Uh, sometimes it's taught a little too early, I believe, in the spiritual journey where people can start using Glacier Vidya as a little bit of a spiritual bypass. Um, it's just my Leisha Vidya. I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were about to dissolve into oneness. I didn't know you were sitting that close on the <laughs> threshold of unbounded consciousness. Um, and look, I make a joke about this, but uh, there are ways that you can apply the principle of Leisha Vidya for 
staying relevant, for staying accessible. And you can do this at any point in your life. You don't have to be sitting on the threshold of dissolution. Um, and it and it really has to do with surrendering into ignoring what you know in order to create a shared experience. For example, mm. for example, you know, I used to love clothes shopping. I'm a fashion designer, studied at university. That's my past life. Uh, and I still love clothes, but it's not something that, you know, I'm going to go out every weekend and um, go shopping and try on all these amazing outfits and, you know, have something new to wear on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights that I'm going out. Um, that experience of going shopping used to be something that really allowed me to connect with my mum. She also loved that. It was a beautiful shared experience that we had. As I started meditating and learning more about this um, new way of living based in the Vedic wisdom, I started to shift away from materialism, consumerism, um, from beauty and aesthetics and kind of swung in the complete opposite direction. And by doing that, I gained a lot. But I also lost some things. I lost mm. a way of connecting with um, family or friends who are not on the same path that I am on and still enjoy doing things that I would look at and go, ugh, you're so ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my problem. That's my problem, not their problem. And so this practice is, well, if you're actually stabilized, embodied in what it is that you say you're into, yeah, what it is you say you're experiencing, then there should be no problem for a moment in time surrendering that and going and having a shared experience with someone where you are engaging in um, uh, consumerism, you know, where you with are. With the consciousness around it and the awareness yes. that you've chosen it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's a conscious choice and it always comes back to why are you practicing it? Why are you surrendering into it? And it has to do with being relevant, being accessible and creating shared experience. Mm. So that's how I, I feel like you can yeah, apply then, it. Yeah. Thank you for bringing clarity because the only references I've heard are more in that, oh, it's just my leisure you know, <laughs> This bad habit or behavior that I'm doing, yeah. I have permission to do it because of this. It's definitely not bad habits. Concept. Yeah. That, but bad mm. habits. It might look like that for a moment. Um, but you've just got to ask, what is the purpose of it? What is the purpose? And then you surrender in. And when you're in it, you may forget the purpose. You may forget the intention. Just like when we're practicing mm. meditation or we're practicing the cities, we bring our awareness to our mantra or to the sutra, and then we surrender and we let it go mm. and we allow an experience to come. Beautiful. Mm. Um, can we talk about... Um, I wanted to talk a bit about this sort of concept of the guru, but I don't want to spend too much time on that because I feel like we've sort of spoken to that mm. through the lens of the persona mm. of mm. Uh, this practice and being a meditation teacher. And mm. I guess what that leads me on to is 
the rise of the female Mm. teacher and the feminine teacher. And I feel, I think as deeply as you perhaps do as well, that it's now, Mm. it feels very much at the surface for me. Um, What do you think about that? But also what do you think women specifically bring to the transmission of this knowledge? Because it's... I've experienced a lot of, um, I guess, polarity in the way I hear the knowledge from female teachers versus the way I hear the knowledge from Hmm. male teachers. What do you you hear? What are some things? (laughs) Um, There's a lot of practicality in the male Mm -hmm. transmission. With female teachers, I find that you have this ability to be a lot more subtle Mm. but that the impact is far greater. So sometimes I walk away not fully understanding what I've heard, but then it's in the integration that I'm like, that's Mm. what she meant. Mm. (laughs) Like I'm getting it. So I guess there's, I don't know, maybe a level of emotion that I don't, and Mm. I don't know, because is it because I'm a woman as well and that we have that connection point anyway? Yeah. I would say it's both or all. It was really interesting. Um, I hadn't really done a long training course in quite a while. And so when we had the permaculture training um, for, I think it ended up being like 17 days or something, um, we had male and female teachers. And it was very interesting to notice how different I felt at the end of a two-hour session compared to whether it was a man or a woman speaking. Mm. And I didn't notice this till the end. And I started to share how after the women um, gave their presentation, I felt more calm, more grounded, more relaxed, and like I was able to digest it. Whenever the men came in and gave their sessions, it was incredible knowledge, big kind of conceptual knowledge. Um, but I came away feeling very much in my head, like I really needed to go and meditate. The sessions would always run over time with any of the, any of the men, the women were always very aware. Actually, it's going to end at this time and I'm going to honor everyone's time and make sure that we end here. Um, so yeah, it was very fascinating. And, uh, as I said, I think it's a little bit of both with what you were saying. Um, we have different lived experiences, We have um, different cycles that we operate on monthly compared to the daily cycles. We have different roles that we play in society. And I I think hearing knowledge and wisdom from all perspectives is good. Mm. And if you resonate with um, a teacher, a gender, (laughs) an age, over another, then for that time in your life, go deep with it. Mm -hmm. Surrender into it and allow that relationship to, it's feeding you, but it's also feeding the teacher. There's always reciprocity in every relationship. And it may change. It may get to the point where you're like, oh, actually, I'm feeling like I need a little bit more of that feminine perspective. Or I'm feeling like I need a little bit more of that, um, the age of wisdom 
Or maybe I just need to hang out with babies for a while because they're pretty, <laughs> they're pretty wise beings and there's so much to learn there. And so I feel like it's important to honor what you need and to know that it's okay to move between different um, transmissions of the knowledge. Because at the end of the day, it is knowledge, it's wisdom, it's intelligence. And you may mm. find it presents itself in your life yeah, through different people, through different experiences, different forms, uh, and just honor each one while you're at it, while, while mm. it's relevant to you. And, you know, I've only ever had male teachers, which is a very interesting, um, yeah, it, it never came across that there was a, um, a female knowledge teacher for me. I was trained by a male teacher. Um, I was, sorry, I learnt to meditate um, through a male teacher. I was then trained by three male teachers. <laughs> and it seems to be that the people I've connected with have been men. Now, um, does that just have to do with time, place and circumstance, you know, where we're in an era where, mm -hmm. you know, patriarchy has dominated and it just happens to be that it's become culture or it's become tradition that men are the teachers. I've contemplated this a bit actually because um, <laughs> sometimes I feel like, oh, this is an exhausting job, like talking for hours and hours at a time holding space for people to go through big transformation um, and really being that stable, grounded, unbounded um, point of reference for people in their lives, that's a very masculine role. It's, it's masculine energy. It's stillness. It's unboundedness. It's transcendence. So I have seen how it may be that it's um, there's a greater affinity for for male nervous systems um, that are more embodied in this masculine energy to play the role mm. of teacher or guru, especially because if as a woman you decide that you would like to have a family, mm. um, as you were saying, it's nine months of pregnancy, it's then postpartum, it's then raising your children, and that takes up a lot of time. <laughs> Hell yeah. And, yeah, that's that's been something I've only contemplated in the last few years as we start moving in that direction, um, as I start moving in that direction, to go, wow, I think I'll have to take a break, a little break from teaching for mm -hmm. some time whatever that might look like. Um, and it also makes me realize that, well, isn't raising children the most important thing really in the world, considering anyone who comes to learn to meditate with me was raised by parents, was born <laughs> and raised by parents and raised in a way that that either allowed them to know who they are, to feel confident and capable in expressing themselves in the world and being of service and enjoying this life, or were they raised in a way, a family, a society, a culture that made them feel the opposite? And therefore they are coming with anxiety, with overwhelm and can't sleep and um, not knowing what to do for this next phase of their life. So, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, my, my feeling is that 
I would like to be made redundant in my practice, <laughs> in my teaching practice, uh, because this knowledge and wisdom is with parents and they're raising their children to be beautiful human beings that contribute to life. And they already know all of this, you know? And so looking at that, I go, well, actually, motherhood is way more important (laughs) than being a teacher long-term. But we have to come back to what is happening right now. We can't ignore, we can't have this big vision of what is going to be um, ideal or optimum or what we're desiring. We can't have that vision and it look very different to now and start living in that way when it's not actually where we're at and what's needed. So when we come back to here, like the syntropic <laughs> food forest growing, um, I honour all my male teachers that have allowed me in this year, you know, 2021, to be a female teacher in this tradition, to have gained access to knowledge and wisdom. Amazing. You know, I honour everyone that has come before me, teachers, family, ancestors, to get to this point. That's not to say that how it was done in the past is how it always has to keep being done. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's tradition and there's innovation. And these Mm -hmm. two are almost like the pole ends of the spectrum that we have to be based in wisdom. This is the beautiful thing about tradition. Um, Lineage, I I always say that that word lineage, line, age, lineage, line, age. It's a line through the ages. Mm. It's a continuum of wisdom and practice and connection that allows you to know who you are, what the world's about, and your role in it. Uh, This is the purpose of lineage, but lineage can get um, influenced by culture, people, ignorance, uh, and we end up with dogma, religions that, um, you know, just with dogma, religion, and um, it feels stifling in some way. Mm. So... You know, I honour everything that has come before me. It's created the conditions for this to be happening right now. Then tapping into what I feel like my purpose is here in this short little chapter of the movie of life. What is my contribution here? And I, I contribute in the way that I feel I am here to contribute, knowing that it's going to change as the years go on. Mm. And it may be that there's a rise of the feminine at this moment. What does that look like in 10 years, 50 years, 100 years? Um, That's for all of us to discover. Mm -hmm. But we have to be in the present moment really listening into what's needed. Great to have an ideal, great to have a vision, but let that vision change. Don't lock yourself into an idea of what it should be. Have the vision and then let the vision evolve. It's really important is to allow your vision to evolve um, because as you're evolving in the present moment, you may discover something that you didn't have that information, you know, 10 minutes ago, <laughs> mm. a year ago, five years ago when you created that big vision for yourself. Mm. 
And as that new information arises, you don't want to ignore that. You want to listen and integrate, and that may um, create a ripple effect into the future direction and your vision for for why you're here, what you want to be creating. Um, and so it's like we have these, what can we call them, intentions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these these fate intentions, mm-hmm. and then we give it up to God mm-hmm. and we see what nature organises for us. Yeah, exactly. It's very hard not to get rigidly attached mm especially when it relates to career and business because we use those goals and visions mm. for fuel to get up every day and to create and to build and to market, which is really hard, and to sell, which is even harder. Um, so this is interesting to explore because how do we as conscious people get about creating and building businesses with faint intentions. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, the fainter something is, the more powerful it is. If we're going to get into the world of quantum physics, where does the most powerful energy reside? It's actually in the quantum. It's in the very subtle, the very faint, the very fine. Um, and yet it is extremely powerful. And so it's not that you're wishy-washy. Faint intention doesn't mean, ah, kind of, (laughs) maybe a little bit like this. Mm, I kind of feel like that. Um, Faint intention, intention or sankalpa is um, a one-pointed focus. And it is a, a deeply felt and embodied experience. This is what I want. This is why I'm here. And then that, that may not change that there may be some evolution in that, what it looks like, how that's going to actually manifest. That is what we want to allow the change to be able to mold it into something even greater than what we could have imagined. We want to allow nature to organize it rather than spending um, all of our individual energy on trying to pull all of the right components together. Nature organizes things. We haven't been taught this though. We've been taught that you as an individual make things happen. Have your goals. You know, make sure you've put into your calendar all of the dates. You're going to hit those goals. You're going to strive. You're going to push. You're going to, you have to use all of your individual energy to make something happen. And and this is a worldview that comes from a direct experience of being um, separated from our nature, mm. of not making contact with being, with the unboundedness of our, of our essential nature when we're not in contact with it, with that aspect of ourself, we don't really know who and what we are. And so, of course, the way that we're going to engage with life is as if we have limited energy, limited resources, limited time. If our identity changes, so do our thoughts, behaviours and actions. And so when we're meditating... 
we're really, and I don't, I don't say this to people, it's not on my website, but what we're, <laughs> what we're doing when we're meditating um, is we're changing our identity. I can see why you don't put that on your website. <laughs> because if you don't understand, if you don't have the, um, <laughs> the whole context. picture, the context for what that means, it can be scary. Mm. I don't want to lose who I am. Mm. But you don't lose who you are. You gain what you are. Mm. And when you gain what you are, you gain your timelessness. You gain your infinite energy. You gain your infinite organizing power. Mm. You gain your bliss. Infinite relevancy. Infinite In relevancy. A world that demands that we make ourselves relevant through growing things, scaling mm. things, gaining a following. <laughs> How beautiful to think about I am infinitely relevant. Yeah. And the consciousness state is relevant. Your body will come and go and that's okay. All trees are coming and going. We're, we're nothing but uh what's that meme? Something like a we're nothing but a, a complicated houseplant you know, with, with emotions or something like that. We just need some light, some love and some water. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are different models as well. Who's to say that that success means infinite growth? There's a new movement, um, the degrowth movement. And mm. I like this idea. Mm. And uh, over the past Sounds couple relaxing. of years, yeah, over the past couple of years, I've kind of been forced into the degrowth movement, um, not being able to teach and expand and grow our business. It's been really nice mm. and it's been really slow. And we're still making enough to survive in the world and thrive in the world, um, but it's not at the expense of our mental, physical spiritual health. It's not at the expense of relationships. Um, and so this I, is huge. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of into the whole degrowth movement to be quite honest. And Me too. Yeah. I am rapidly degrowing actually. Mm. Mm. And there's been a lot of deep thinking in this first nine months with Betty because yeah. to your point earlier on motherhood, Arriving at this season, mm. I realize I am uniquely built for this and for her mm. and her for me. And there is nowhere I want to be than with that girl. So beautiful. But at the same time, I have this exquisite community mm. and I'm doing work that to me feels very dharmic. Mm. And so the deep thinking has been around how do these things coexist and feed each other mm. in a way. Mm. Um, but I actually had a really sort of intense experience on Wednesday night. We were wrapping up a 40-day Japa journey that I was doing with Dahlia Gensha. And, you know, every week I arrived at the knowledge session, Betty is asleep. Everything's just streamlined. Mm. Full, full support. I was like, this is almost too easy. This is silly. And then the last night, 
group reflection. We're all coming together to talk about our big shifts and our revelations. And Tony goes out for the first time in like fucking nine months to have a beer with his mates. I'm like, it's fine. She sleeps. What did she do? She started crying the moment Mm. I hit go on Zoom and she screamed for the entire session and I was upstairs with her. And I reflected back to the group on voice text the next day that as much as you were in my mind and I was coming down to check that my computer hadn't gone to sleep and the recording had stopped, there was nowhere I wanted to be then with her. And so what I realized in the moment, which I had to experience it to have the realization, is I'll never have to choose Mm. because the community would never demand or ask that Mm. of me because Mm. of their state of consciousness. Mm. So it's been a big week for me, a big realisation, I guess, that it's not this or that. When you were speaking then, it reminded me of um, sitting under this 80-year-old mango tree at our permaculture training and they pointed out um, to the side of it, just outside of the main canopy, there was a little baby mango And that was the mango that had come from a seed, from a fruit of that tree. And it was tiny little baby mangoes just next to it. So still there, still feeding it all of its nutrients, sending it whatever it needs. And at some point, that baby mango is going to become as big as mama mango (laughs) and is going to be the place where, you know, in 50 years, people who are taking permaculture courses, they'll be sitting under that mango tree. Mm. as mama mango goes back into the earth. And so it's it's what came to mind when you were sharing that about um, Betty was how we also have to allow other people in our lives or in our communities to take the, the, the what word am I looking for? The reins. To take the reins, yeah, to step into a role when we've gone, mm. okay, I've, I've, I've been a pioneer or I've grown it to this point and now I'm actually in a phase where I'm stabilising, I'm grounding and I'm birthing a baby mango tree <laughs> mm. called Betty and there is an opening now. There's a beautiful opening for someone to contribute and to perform their dharma in relationship with yours. And we don't, we're not taught this in business to allow someone else to come in and have their place and give and share. And and this is why it's a very unique, very unique way of doing business, but it feels good. Mm. It feels right, as you're saying. I was going to say that. (laughs) And there's a kind of, um, I use the word trust, trust is when we don't yet know there's a trust that we have to engage in that nature is going to support us Mm. and that we are contributing to a a conscious forest of human beings on this earth not to uh, just a lovely fruiting mango tree in a barren paddock Mm. we want everyone everyone to have their time, their place, their role. And, and so it can be beautiful. And, and this was one of the reasons why I created Mahasoma. It wasn't intended to be all female. It just happens. Oh, I didn't it, know that. It was open. I, I, 
I am open to anyone and everyone <laughs> being part. It just happened to be, interestingly enough, that the pioneers of Mahasoma are all female. Mm. And um, there are reasons for that, the way the feminine operates and communicates and gives unconditionally, which is what's required when you're birthing something very new that requires yeah. a lot of your time and attention. So I understand that motherly role that um, any new business needs. And so it makes sense. Um, but yeah, with Mahasoma, the idea is to create a model that other people can um, copy that we would love to just give, like say, hey, this is an amazing way to um, contribute, to be of service, to um, uh, run a business. Uh, it's a way that gives back to everyone that's involved. So like here, take mm. it, go and, <laughs> go and do it. Um, and it's also so that I'm not the centre. I don't want to be the centre. That's a very... <laughs> masculine <laughs> um, way of being, one-pointed. You look at the mm -hmm. masculine sexual organ, one-pointed, yep. one direction, straight up, <laughs> straight up going out. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the feminine is more of an internal, inclusive, growing, birthing, um, um, holding, holding onto and, and birthing new life as well. And so we see mm. this as a, as a space for that and removing myself as being the sole or the only, I don't want to be seen as that because that is not sustainable either. And so how, how can we create like a guild, a, a guild of trees or plants that work together that aren't the same? It's not like we've got four mango trees. You know, in Mahasoma, we've got a mango, mm -hmm. we've got an avocado, we've got a tamarillo and um we've got a what's your favorite plant what's your favorite fruiting tree mm, gosh um, <laughs> you know i love a grape oh a grapevine a crisp cold green grape oh, i feel you i feel you <laughs> i used to put them in the freezer when i was younger and Ooh. have in summer little grape frozen lollies. They tasted just like... <laughs> I don't do that. Oh, uh, in winter, it's, uh, in summer, it's amazing. But yeah, so we've got this guild um, that's contributing to the greater whole. And maybe for a period of time, it looks like the mango's dominating. Or for a period of time, the banana's dominating or the grapevine's dominating. And it's so important to honour that person, that role, what they're giving, and to give them that space. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if everyone understands that there is relationship, that there is um, an evolution to the relationship and what it is that we're desiring to create long-term, then everyone can step into their role, love it, enjoy it, feel it. And then maybe for There's a season, no, no, com no, it's not competition, it's syntropy. Mm -hmm. And if we can then come back and, and have a moment where it's like, you know what, I'm taking a couple years off yeah, and I'm still going to be here. This. Yeah, you I'm still going to be here. Yeah. But you, you guys, this is your, this is you. Shine, my friends. You are speaking directly to my <laughs> business values and mm. 
you know, I've been very purposeful with offline. It's not my name. Yes. I've made that decision from the beginning that I hope this is a collective of lots of different types of teachers that can help us on our way, you know. And so what I'm hearing from you is this idea that, or more than an idea, (laughs) um, success through community and that if we remove the individual and the individualised self and stop putting this pressure on ourselves to have to be the person that succeeds Mm. and becomes this thing and has this Instagram bio and earns this money and buys this house and da-da-da-da-da, if we can just fall back Mm. and be held, you know, by the people who may create alongside us, um, it's refreshing because (laughs) so much of the modern-day narrative around success is that it's us this small self that's going to go out and do this thing that's going to give us this notoriety and blah, blah, blah. Um, I do want to talk to you about money. (laughs) I just want to come back to a point that you were saying there because this is something that we've we've made really important within Mahasoma, which is that it's not just about the community. It's also not just about the individual. It's about an individual living within community. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not sure that we have yet seen this fully embodied and fully expressed in business, in family, in organizations. You know, if you're a part of something, you almost have to become that business or become that that community or surrender your individuality in some way um, to be part of the whole. And what we're exploring here, and it really is exploration, like we are just seeing where this goes um, and we're in contact every day together um, and every week we have long meetings, sometimes uh, there, there doesn't seem to be anything constructive that has come from talking, but it is the talking itself that is the the weaving of understanding um, into what it is that we're doing. And so it's this individuality, honouring our individualities for why they're here, their purpose, mm. and for how the individual can contribute to the collective. It's not about wiping out the individual and only being part of collective. Yeah. It's how do these two work together, which is really interesting because they're almost complete opposites. And no guidebook for this, by the way. Like, (laughs) You know what I mean? To your point on exploring. Yeah, it's research. It's a real exploration that requires a lot of trust. Yeah. 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 And this is why you really have to be doing this with people who have a... consistent daily practice of making contact with that limitless, timeless, uh, unbounded aspect of themselves, because you need to know that's what you are to be able to fully give in this way. Mm. And, And it's not just trust, it's knowing. It's like, of course, if I do anything else, I'm just being silly. <laughs> and then it's how does this work together in this current time, place and circumstance? And it's a, mm. it's a dance. It's changing. So we can all sustain ourselves. Yeah. And <clears throat> like I, living and- I still have my own individual Instagram. You know, mm-hmm. I still have my own name. I have my own website. All of us have that. 
and we all contribute to Mahasoma. So all mm. of our individualities are coming into and contributing to this collective. Why? So we can support a greater community. Mm. That's the purpose of it at the end of the day. And so we give a lot. There's, there's a lot more giving than taking, um, but that's because that's what we can do right now. In the past, yeah. there was a lot of taking from me. I needed I needed, and so I came to group meditations and I asked a lot of questions and I spent a lot of my teacher's time <laughs> trying to understand who am I. And so once I had that, I then knew that it was time for me to give back in the way that mm. I can. And so we have this saying, um, give what you can and take what you need. This is so fascinating because one of my questions <laughs> was about this, and I don't even know if it's Vedic now, but I've heard it in different Vedic circles. Mm. Give the thing you want more of. Well, and if so it's, there's actually, yeah. they're different. And I'm thinking about money when I ask that. <laughs> now, <laughs> what I have heard is that if something is truly valuable, the more you give of it, the more you have of it. Got it. Okay. Which like love, it's, it's very, very valuable, possibly the most valuable thing. The more you give love, the more love you have because love comes mm. from the self. Yeah. The more presence you give, the more presence you have. And it's actually tapping into um, the understanding that your consciousness state creates your reality. Mm -hmm. So if you tap into that, you have more of that. Money-wise. <laughs> money-wise. And, I, and I, I want to talk about money because I think it's a theme that, you know, even as conscious people, yeah. it's a currency that we have to dance with in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I don't think any of us are exempt from at times believing we need a lot more of it. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what my question is around money. I guess I just want to talk about money from the Vedic view like, if we're going to be these conscious founders and entrepreneurs and build these brands and communities and businesses, yeah. the more money we make, the more people we help. But then how we have to get that money can sometimes feel like it's compromising our beliefs yeah. entirely. Yeah. You know, I think at the end of the day, you have to be really comfortable in what it is that you're doing. Um, meaning if you're teaching a course, for example, and are charging a certain amount, you know, is that a valuable exchange? There's, there's always exchange that's taking place. Um, do you feel comfortable, um, yeah, receiving money from someone? Mm -hmm. Do you think that what you're offering is a value? And then it's really open to each individual. Do you want to have a business in the monetary economy? Or do you want to have a business that operates in the crypto economy, which mm. is connected mm. to the monetary economy, but is different? Do you different want to have different currency? Do you want to have a business that is operating in the exchange economy? Where you exchange what it is that you're giving for something that you need. Mm. Um, do you want to operate in the, I don't need anything. I'm just going to give economy. 
Now that would probably require to have require you having quite a few resources to be able to do that. And I would say that there's always giving and taking. There's always reciprocity in any relationship. Um, but it's really, you know, challenge challenge the assumptions you have around what is money, how what economy do you want to be operating in, how much do you need. You know, the, the more the more abundant I have become financially, the more I give away. Mm, so. Money is flow. Mm. At the end of the day, it's a it's an energy, and an energy that we exchange, and we want to keep it flowing. Mm. Affluence is what my teacher once said to me. <laughs> mm. Affluence. Affluence. So keep it flowing. Don't hoard mm. it. It's, it's an energy there that is, um, it's, it's designed to nourish. It's Lakshmi. So yes. it's designed to, to give and feed and nourish. Um, and are, is, uh, is there the ability for your business to change its offering at any time? Of course. Of course. You can become a charity. You can start offering exchanges, you could, you know, infinite, mm. infinite possibilities. Totally. Mm. Um, but there's a, yeah, I, th- I think because in the past spirituality has been taught for free, a lot of the time meditation techniques, um, courses, knowledge, it's being given um, in an ashram, uh, context um, where people are already looked after, where it's based on donation. Um, that's been the model. And we're in a different context, a different world with a different model now. And I think that's okay. As long as you feel say, like, in your. Is there any, is there actually, is that wrong in any way? I mean, look, it really depends who you talk to. Um, Everyone's going to have their opinion. I always just come back to what is your long-term vision? And for long-term vision, living in the monetary economy, we need conscious people with the resource of money and spending that money in ways that's going to help us as a community, as a collective, grow together. Mm-hmm. So I don't think having money is any issue or problem. Issue. Um, I think it comes down to what you feel like in your heart is right for you. And if you feel like you're giving a value and people are wanting to share, then wonderful. If you feel like, actually, I want to charge a little less, do that. Be flexible, be adaptable with it. Mm. Um, it's all about exchange. And, you know, I think that there could be a, a lowering of the threshold <laughs> in some white well-being circles that would allow greater accessibility, diversity and equity. And, and <clears throat> in yeah. turn... Um, a more rapid increase in collective consciousness. 
Correct. Correct. Because this is the thing is the price points are slowing us down in a lot of ways as well because it's shutting so many people out. I remember um, a really early episode I did with Minaj Dias, who you'll Mm. know. He's down in Melbourne, but I think he's in the States now. One of the things he said to me was as a teacher to sit at the front of the room and ask yourself who's not in the room and why. Mm, Beautiful. And I really was like looked at my own business and my own community Mm. who comes to my events and things like that, who listens to the podcast. And then who have I silenced Mm. by lack of inclusion? Mm. You know, and so um, which is yeah, not just it's an money. Interesting thing. It's it's not just money. This is something we've been exploring as well, and I think we would all have to actually do the research in our businesses to see mm. whether you know dropping your price would create greater diversity, equity, and inclusion, or is it the fact that we are white women, and that I don't have the lived experience of a black woman. Yep. And so why would they Or an indigenous um, person. So maybe there just isn't there isn't that resonance for someone to come and learn um with me. Having said that, I I do teach, you know, a diverse range of people. Mm. Um but I think it's something to consider that money is one part of it, but not the whole story. Yeah. Um, That's really valuable to the relevancy and yeah. the relatability. And you've got location as mm. well. Where are you located? How accessible are you? You know, <laughs> there's, there's yeah. a lot more to it. And I, so I think it's a really important conversation to be having. I think it's something that all people who are in this um, realm of well-being, health, community need to put more attention on. Mm. it can be a slow change because we're a part of traditions or lineages or systems that have been created um, that may run quite smoothly right now and you think, well, why should I change something that's not broken? Um, And it may require for a period of time for there to be some degrowth in Mm. certain aspects of your business that you had... um, you know, considered to be contributing to your success. Mm-hmm. But if you come back to this is why I say it's really important <laughs> that you keep coming back into your heart and asking what is important. Why am I here? How am I mm-hmm. contributing to, you know, a food forest that will sustain itself? How can I make myself redundant ASAP? And when I say redundant, that doesn't mean that... I don't have a purpose in life. It mm. means I can be in my garden or I can be mm. enjoying, you know, finally learning the violin and having the time to sing and discover and go on amazing hikes around the world. Like there's so much joy still to be had in life. I'm more talking mm. about, you know, I, I feel like there's a very strong karma and dharma for me to be teaching, and I would love for that to, I would love for that to just be turned down a little bit, <laughs> not <laughs> because I want to get out of my job, but because mm. there's, you know, and and uh, 
because there are more more meditators in the world. Yeah, and you want to enliven different parts of you, and I think that that has to be our deserving right as well, doesn't it? To, and I think this is interesting when we are sort of speaking through this lens of success, like the attachment, which I know you would have spoken so much about in group knowledge sessions, <clears throat> like mm. this idea that we have this purpose and that the purpose is somehow linked to our how we make a living. So we have to like yeah, which it, marry these two things together yeah. when actually what does yeah. that stop us from doing? Yeah. And sometimes our our job will be what we feel like is our real purpose in the world and other times it'll be the funding mechanism for our purpose. Uh, and, and dharma is moment to moment. It may culminate as something, but it's moment to moment. What is my personal role here in this moment? And you're in a beautiful dharmic phase of your life, understanding that your role right now is to be mother and how beautiful. And, and when you surrender fully into that, because that is your dharma, it feels good. You're supported in that. And if you were to resist that and think, oh, but I've got this business that I've started and I have to keep, I have to keep growing it. Otherwise, what's going to happen? People, people may no longer start coming to my events or listening to my podcast. I may lose my income. You know, all those thoughts that come. If you were to actually put your attention on your business when it's not your dharma right now, it's going to be really hard. <laughs> and you said, you know, going through that um, 40 day Japa program, you know, just seeing that it can align together, but you have yeah. to honor, honor your dharma in the moment. Mm. What I didn't actually, I forgot to share when we were talking about that mm. is the mantra we were doing was Chamundai. Ah, beautiful for Kali. And so what Dals had said to me the next day, cause I texted her and I said, I'm sad. I missed that but I, kn mm. I know where I needed to be. And she said, you were the complete embodiment of the energy we've been evoking this whole time is you chopped off your own head, <laughs> you know, and the blood spits out <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it feeds. Yeah. And it's exactly what we've been talking about today. And I was, I went where I was needed. Yeah. She stepped in and up beautifully. Mm. The entire group held it. I was so emotional watching the replay and realized that I wasn't really needed at all. <laughs> and that if anything, me being there may have gotten a little bit in the way of some of the sharing. Yeah. It's exactly what we were just talking about before. Mm -hmm. Like letting everyone have their moment, mm. feeling into mm -hmm. that. When we get into the head of, oh no, what if this might, I can't that's what that's what causes um, the disruption. Mm. We can really just know this is where I need to be right now. Yeah. It's probably the number one question that gets asked actually from people. What should I be doing? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, we're going to wrap up soon. Can you yeah. give us your advice on that? So I'm a student, I'm sitting here and I'm confused about what I want to do for a living and let's not think yeah. personal. How does that knowledge apply to our professional self? Mm. Mm. 
you know, when someone's asking, um, what's my purpose? What, what am I here to do in this world? What should I, what should I be doing next? Um, I always start with who is the one that is going to be doing the doing? Do you know who that is? Do you know who you are? Do you know what you are? Action, coming back to what we were speaking about at the beginning, action is the, um, the final expression of the identity of what we are. It's identity, which is a perspective, mm. which is an understanding, which comes through certain thoughts and feelings, which manifests in behavior and actions. If we want to know what it is we should be doing, the action, that's the final expression. That's the final manifestation of what we are. Mm. When we know what we are, there is a natural flow of intelligence from that state mm. through the field of manifesting all the way to the manifest. And we look at it and go, ah, oh, great job. <laughs> that's what I'm meant to be doing. Or here is, here's my success in the world. But success starts with what you are. Mm. And to know what you are, this is the purpose of meditation. This is the real purpose of it. It's mm. to understand your identity as timeless, as limitless, as um, with infinite organizing power and all the resources you could need in collaboration with all other manifest forms, this is what you are. And when you begin to know what you are, then the who you are, which is your individuality, it's held, it's supported by a very deep root system. And it can get whatever it needs from anywhere, sometimes kilometers away if we're we're not going to go into the fungi, the, the fungi network, the mycelium <laughs> network that's underneath the earth. However, <laughs> it means that we can draw upon the resources, the wisdom and the perception um, of everything in our environment. This is what happens when we are deeply rooted into what we are. It allows us to then grow as individuals and contribute in whatever way that we were designed to. And each of us has a purpose here. And when we start moving in that direction, there is an intelligence that's flowing through us. That, that disconnect, which you can never really disconnect from yourself, you just ignore it. We start to dissolve the ignorance and we start to realize that there is a flow of intelligence. And then we have to start really listening to that and being fearless in the way of um, actioning or following what we're feeling within. And from there, we begin to find ourselves in the right place at the right time. <laughs> or we start to notice that, ah, there's, there, there's, there's a greater perspective. Our identity is allowing us to have a bigger perspective of what's going on. And a bigger perspective means we have greater vision. We can see more of what's actually taking place. And we can begin to align ourselves with that. Mm. Now, that might sound very abstract to someone who's like, tell me what to do tomorrow. Do I quit my job or do I stay? 
<laughs> and my answer to people is always, you know, no one likes hearing this, but you know, and you don't want to get into the habit of outsourcing your knowing. It's not sustainable. Mm. And this is why I keep coming back to you. <laughs> you. You have to do the work every day. And it's a, it's beautiful work. Meditation is, it's, it's the greatest uh, discovery that you'll ever make in your life. What you are. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> oh, just and and obviously it's the biggest course correct of all time for me. <laughs> I mean Exactly. Wow. Exactly. You know. It can be a hundred and eighty degree turn for some people. That was my life as well. And from that state, from knowing what you are, the intelligence flows through who you are, and there is a natural way of bringing yourself to the world. People call this being authentic, um, living on purpose, uh, following your dharma. But it all comes from the what. And mm. this is the real purpose of meditation. Yes. <laughs> mm, so beautiful. Mm. Um, I mean, Obviously, I could go for another hour, um, but I'll be very, want to be respectful of your time. I have a final question that from this season onwards is different to the other, the other seasons and what I used to ask at the end. Um, what I would like to know, Laura Paul, is what does true self-success look and sound like to you in your life? Hmm. Where I am at right now, which is really the only place I can talk from. But right now, success, success for me looks like how I am in each moment, loving and allowing myself to be loved. And is that something that I'm able to engage in, that reciprocity of loving and accepting love and allowing that to be mm, the foundation, allowing that to also just be the, oh, it's like the nectar, mm. loving and being loved in every moment, in every moment and noticing when I'm not feeling that and then questioning why. And so success mm. for me would mean a life in love. And, and I call it freedom in love because love is freedom, actually. To love unconditionally means I'm truly free. Mm. This has been some type of therapy for me. It was the perfect time you chose, my love. It was for you. It was for me. Seriously. Divine timing. And just like hearing that like Tony's just gotten Betty up, I can't describe to you the bliss of being able to have this conversation with you about the things we've spoken about and to share it with a community of people who I know will receive it so beautifully. Mm. And then to walk upstairs and lock eyes with my baby. Yeah. Mm. 
I've got full body goosebumps and some tears in my eyes right now. <laughs> mm. I just never believed I'd like get to experience this feeling. Yeah. Mm. And everything <sighs> everything that you have given to so many people receive this fully now. Receive all of it and surrender into it. You're so loved. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. All right. <laughs> oh gosh. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about my personal and professional development opportunities. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to Offline, please share it with them. 